The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. All right. Good morning, everybody. Take your Bibles. Turn to uh, Book of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to go right back to that passage we were in last night. And we're going to look at the last verse, primarily verse 33. So we are going to back up and take in um, a couple verses at the beginning of the text, too. So uh, I'll keep you shorter than normal this morning. I know a lot of you got a lot of travel today and also that you have maybe kids you got to go round up and tomorrow's a school day tomorrow's not a school day here I don't know why I think maybe it's teacher's work day or something but I found that out today so um, that's glorious Uh, so tomorrow morning will be an easy morning Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 I'm going to read one verse uh, and then what I'm going to do this morning to, to try to keep this thing, to make sure we keep it uh, not brief, but uh, I want to keep it concise because it's a huge topic. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read mostly. I've written what I'm going to say and I'm going to primarily read it so that I stay on task. Um, Ephesians 5.33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to understand your word this morning. And I pray that we would not only understand it, but that it would execute itself in our lives and that we'd see the benefit and the effect of it in each other's lives. I pray that our kids, our co-workers, our churches, our communities would, would see and feel the effect of the impact of your word this morning. And I pray we'd never sit under the hearing of your word and not respond to it. So please help us as men and women, husbands, wives, help us to, to, to take this and, and do what you would have us to do in response to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this verse is a summary verse of Ephesians 5. If we go back through Ephesians 5, really starting in verse 22, is, is sort of like the passage that addresses marriage. I mean, it is, this is the passage. When you're talking about marriage, this is the one that addresses marriage both roles of husbands and wives now there are other places in scripture we said last night there are narratives so like for instance we can look at uh, we could study a marriage uh, uh some examples of marriages we might study would be um samson and delilah you see that marriage you see you see a really destructive unraveling of a relationship you can see principles like hey don't marry an unbeliever right uh we could look at adam and eve we could see what happens when a husband stands quietly by and doesn't do what God's called him to do, doesn't carry out his obligation or responsibility to lead. And so in a, in a story like Adam and Eve uh, or Samson and Delilah, uh, sort of two extremes, but the same outcome, which is where a man's not doing and being what God's called him to do and be, and where a wife is not uh, likewise carrying out her responsibility in the relationship, you see destruction. Um, we could look at a marriage like uh, Joseph in the Old Testament and his wife, uh, who we assume was an, a pagan Egyptian, and somehow this godly dude put in a situation where he marries what we would assume would have been a pagan woman, 
and I think probably just based on his character and leadership, she probably came to faith in his God. That's, that's an assumption, unless somebody could help me. Maybe that, I, that's confirmed in Scripture. I don't think it is. Um, well, you, so there's principles you can study in different marriages. I love the story of the marriage of uh, Joseph and Mary, where you've got a man who's so humble in the way that he loves his wife, but he clearly is in, in, a, in a position of leadership and, and has a protective mindset towards her. So there's examples throughout Scripture of husbands and wives, and, and, and sometimes you see these principles fleshed out, and sometimes you see them miss the mark. And so in Ephesians 5, though, what we have is the clearest teaching and the most exhaustive teaching on what a man's supposed to be, what a woman's supposed to be in a marriage relationship. Other, other places talk about this. This one is where it's clearest. And so if we, if we go back up into uh, the, the text and start in verse 22, if we were to work 22 through 33, we would see this sort of uh, short but exhaustive uh, overview of the responsibilities that men and women have in the relationship. So I would encourage you to study Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 in your own personal study time, and maybe as husband and wife, and maybe talk through it, dialogue through it, communicate through it. What does this mean? What, like, what is God saying to us in this text? There's uh, a lot of books written on it and a lot of sermons that have been preached on it. And so uh, we, we saw last night, husbands are commanded and instructed in that text to love their wives. And we looked at this in depth. We looked at practical ways to do it and the biblical meaning and instruction behind it. In summary, we are to love with these three characteristics of love. Sacrificial love, sanctifying love, and self-love. We examined that last night. But in verses 22 through 24, wives are given the instruction and explanation of how to love their husbands and what the role of the husband in the marriage is. In that context, the word submit is used. It's the big S word. In a day and age where uh, liberation and liberation theology is what's most prevalent, um, it's a dangerous word to even utter in public context. That makes people uncomfortable or really mad in today's culture. We need to understand the biblical meaning of the word, and we don't need to try to change the meaning or ignore it. So what we cannot do when we see the word submit, let me, let me read this to you, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. What we cannot do is ignore the word submit, and we cannot change the meaning of the word submit. It means what it means. And so what our job to do is to do is, is what our job is is to look at the text and understand what God's saying. What's He saying to us? He, God's not ambiguous. He's not confusing. He's He's very clear when He articulates and communicates something to us. And so we got to understand what it means. So it's helpful to go. Let's let's go back up into verse twenty. Verse twenty giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, in the church, this idea of submission is something that should be commonplace throughout the church. So what Paul is saying before he ever says to wives, submit to your husbands, he's saying husbands and wives submit to the church. So the biblical church looks like believers submitting to one another. And, this, and so in a, in a healthy biblical community, in a healthy, healthy biblical church community, we're encouraging one another, we're confronting one another, we're sharpening one another. There's submission to, the, the, like the big C, 
church of Jesus Christ. We submit to the church. Oftentimes in today's church, we don't see this play out because people tend to have more of like a consumer mentality towards church. The same way you show up at Starbucks, the same way you show up at Target. You go in, you get what you want or need to get. Maybe it's a need. Maybe you come, you know, like uh, you remember after 9-11, I mean, some of us remember after 9-11, uh, as some of us were adults then, um, uh, but the churches were, I remember every church in this town was, the doors were open for about two weeks. And you'd go through and people were in the churches, man. It was crazy. People were praying for our country. And so sometimes people will go to church out of a need. Sometimes you will go to Starbucks out of a need, right? I need caffeine or someone's going to die or get hurt really bad, right? Like there, there's a need. Other times it's just out of a compulsion or a desire. Uh, I go to uh, a store, restaurant, something like that, because I'm, I have a craving or a desire. So some people desire to go to church. They enjoy the fellowship that comes with church. They enjoy hearing the word preached. They enjoy singing together with other believers. But what the scripture is telling us is that we have a responsibility to the church to submit to the church. This is why it's critical that in the church of Jesus Christ, we have biblically qualified pastors and elders, biblically qualified deacons, the leadership in the church needs to be biblically qualified because what the leadership does is submit to one another. The church submits to one another. There's submission on everyone's part. So where it gets really unhealthy is when you've got one dude that's kind of like the man in that church. Have you seen that model? Very unhealthy, isn't it? And oftentimes, how does that model end? Uh, like failure morally, power issues power and control issues and so what's most healthy in a church is going to be and i'm not getting into like ecclesiology here that means like the theology of how the church functions but we need to understand what the word submission means and that's why we're talking about this right now in a healthy biblical church you're not going to have a single individual pastor who sort of runs the show that's not biblical you're going to have a plurality of leadership that means you're going to have multiple elders, multiple pastors, men who submit to one another, and there's a group of people leading that church together. Oftentimes, there's going to be one personality that kind of stands out over other personalities. That happens. That's just the nature of human personality, right? There, there may be some men who teach and preach more than others. Maybe some elders and pastors don't teach and preach on a Sunday morning at all. But that plural leadership, that multiplicity of leaders means everyone is submitting to everyone. Make sense? Okay, so when, when I go to church on Sunday and I'm sitting in, uh, in, in, in the church that I'm a part of and we're there and I'm looking forward tonight. I, I'm not preaching tonight. Rob is preaching. I'm looking forward to drinking coffee and listening to the word of God being preached and having a Sunday to just sit and be fed. You look forward to that? Yeah, we look forward to that. Like, I'm, I'm excited about it. I've prayed for his sermon preparation. I've prayed that my heart would be open. And so we go in submitting to the Word of God, submitting to the church of Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. Oftentimes, that just simply doesn't happen in the American church. It's a consumer mentality. We show up, we consume, we take what we can out of it. We go, we apply it if it's practical. We apply it if there was a good story that was told or a funny joke that got let out. And then we're like, that was, or, or we critique the sermon. I had a guy recently, I, was, I had to preach a funeral, and uh, I got done with the funeral, and uh, a gentleman in the church who's a good friend of mine, we've, been, we've, we've hunted together for years, and, and uh, this is a few hours away from here, and he, afterwards, he came up to me, and he said, man, you, you nailed it, you, you hit it, he said, he said, I tell you, I'm, I, I'm kind of, 
I've been going to church, and I just I don't get convicted at church. Our preacher, and he starts kind of complaining about the, the pastor. Well, I know the pastor who happens to be a, a, a far beyond me qualified expositor of the Scripture. Like, if you're, not, if you're not sitting under this man's teaching and feeling conviction, the burden of responsibility is not on that preacher. It's on because you haven't come in with a heart of submission to the Word of God and to the teaching of the Word and to the church. And so, would you believe I actually said that to him? <laughs> so, so it's not a preacher's problem. It's your problem. It's a heart problem. It's a submission problem. You're not coming to church with the mindset of, I'm going to submit to the Word of God. I'm going to submit to the body of Christ. So in verse 20, we're submitting to one another. So with that sort of contextual background of the word submit, in a marriage, when a wife is submitting to a husband, it doesn't look like uh, what typically the secular mind thinks it looks like. We hear that word and we sort of seize up and we freak out. Listen to what, uh, listen to what, let me see who said this. Hold on. Oh, I think I said this one. Okay. Hold on. I got a good, I got a good quote coming in a minute. This one will be marginal. There's a good one coming in a minute. Uh, uh, Husbands, perhaps if you are frustrated because you don't feel like your wife is willing to submit to your leadership and headship, you might examine your own submission to Christ. Read it again. Husbands, perhaps if you're frustrated because you don't feel like your wife is willing to submit to your leadership and headship, you might examine your own submission to Christ. Is it solid and is it clear? Are you clearly submitted to Christ? If, if I, as a husband, am submitted to Christ, that's going to be evident in the way that I'm living out my life, every aspect of my life. Jesus said, uh, I and the Father are one, and yet he submitted to the Father. Jesus submitted to the Father. And he said, me and the Father, we're equal. We're one. We're one and the same. Triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and submission is there, like Jesus is submitting. And so I thought I might do a very simple, it's not going to be funny or anything like that. I, 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 with, with teenagers, this is easy. You ask for volunteers, and it's like, hands go up. But I need a married couple to just help me illustrate something that will not be awkward in the least, I promise. Would somebody, okay, will y'all come? Oh, you. she knew it was going to come. Okay, let me, I'm going to turn my mic off and tell you what I need you to do. So, so here's what they're going to do. They're going to walk around. I want you to just watch them walk. Okay, now imagine you're, you're in Gatlinburg or Jackson Hole, one of them little trendy vacation towns. It's really cheesy. They sell fudge and, and airbrush t-shirts, right? And, uh, and so you're just walking around in town. You're walking down the street. And so they're, they're just walking. That's all. They're just walking. That's all. It's, it's walking around. Now, in, when I see a couple walking like this, what I think is, there's a couple walking together. Oh, don't they look in love? Yes. Don't they look happy and content? Yes. Who's leading? Okay, so what's happened here is that I've asked him to lead. 
So when they turn, it doesn't look like he's turning and dragging her, does it? And they've just gone over and sat down. And that entire walk, he led that entire walk. So when they went down that, thank y'all for helping me with that. When they went down that walk, it's because that's the direction that the husband took them. Make sense? When they turned around the back and didn't come up this aisle but went this way, it's because that's the direction. She didn't know where he was going to take them. But it didn't look like he was dragging her along. There was a point where they had to squeeze, you know, between a tight spot. And so then she's kind of holding his hand and but then right back beside him. There might would even be a point uh, like like what if they're walking through the mall? okay, and it looks like that. And one's leading, but it doesn't look like one's leading. And all of a sudden you come up to that girl's store that sells like underpants and stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right. And she sees it coming. And now, whoop, she, boy, there's a tug. Mm, she tugs on that arm. And we're going down over here to the food court instead, right? We, we peel off this way, all right? She's leading in that moment. Will there be times, wives, where, like, you got to, like, hey, you need to listen to me right now and, and respond to me. Yeah, there's times where even that would happen, okay? But when a man and a woman, John used the illustration, the analogy yesterday of a dance, where a man and a woman are dancing and he's leading, and that's a really good illustration, but some of us can't dance. But maybe you can walk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, uh, based on John's illustration, I thought, this is a really good illustration. And then I thought, oh, if we were dancing, I would, I'd crawl all over little shins and feet with my 12 and a half double E boot, you know? Like, that'd be a bad day for her. So, so what it looks like is two people are walking, traveling together, and there is a leadership that's happening, but what it looks like is two people happily in love in a partnership moving forward. Does that make sense? You see an illustration? So with that sort of as a picture, thank y'all seriously for doing that, as a picture of submission, that's kind of what I want you to have in your mind. Now, the idea is explosive in our society, the idea of submission. In my life, I've seen men make such a mockery of this idea that it's no wonder women are enraged. Here's a quote from a smart guy. I forget the guy's name, but it's in a commentary. Um, his first name was David, so I forget old David's last name. But anyway, it's a real smart quote. Listen to this. The truth of the text has been perverted and abused by disordered and sinful men. God's holy word in the hands of a religious fool can do immense harm. I have seen couch potatoes who order their wives and children around like the Grand Sultan of Morocco. Adulterous misogynists who... De- with domestic ethics of Jabba the Hutt, who cow their wives around with Bible verses about submission. Insecure men whose wives do not dare go to the grocery store without permission, who even tell their wives how to dress. But the fact that evil, disordered men have perverted God's word is no reason to throw it out. We've all seen that, right? We've all seen it. You may have grown up in it. Um, it's especially prominent for several generations, maybe prior to that liberation generation, the baby boomers, right? Prior to that, you really saw it. And sometimes it's beautiful. You know, to see, a, you know, to see an, an elderly couple in the 1980s that had lived and survived through the Great Depression, and she would, you know, just be so loving and serving to him, and he would be so respectful and honorable to her is beautiful. But oftentimes, in, in, uh, in those same scenarios, it... it I know for me growing up, I didn't even realize it was more of like a a subservient slavery 
waiting on him, handing for the, the glass of tea, get, the empty glass gets rattled. Oh, let me get him some tea, you know, like, and, it's, and, and, and it didn't feel like a partnership, you know, we've, we've seen that happen. And so the two ways we see this perverted primarily in our culture are either to ignore this concept or rebel against it. Ignore it or rebel against it. Verse, 20, uh, verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So in verse 23, what we're given as an example is servant leadership. So as men, the word for us is, we should not expect, and we dare not expect, and we do not have the authority to expect a wife who submits to our headship and leadership if we're not representing Christ well. And what Christ did was lay down his life for his bride. In fact, he left the, com- the comforts and the authoritative position that he held on the throne of heaven as the high king of heaven. The one who Isaiah in Isaiah 6 saw high and lifted up, surrounded by angels who worshipped him day and night, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. High and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. There was smoke. There was flashes of light and revelation, peals of thunder. It's an overwhelming scene, and he basks in it and emanates and projects glory that no man can handle. And he left that to become a peasant in Galilee who eked out a living, building things with his calloused hands, and then lay down in his life and die in an unjust manner. That's what servant leadership looks like. That's what it looks like. What about submitting to a man who's not a believer or not a mature believer or one who's following Christ? 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. Okay, so are we talking about believers or unbelievers? I don't know. I didn't really drill into this text, but it would seem like this is just a man who's disobedient to the Scripture. He's not obedient. Maybe he's ignoring it, but he's not doing what God's called him to do. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, let's consider this passage for just a couple minutes here. And there's two observations. Number one, voluntary submission is what is in view in the Scripture. Ladies, it's voluntary submission. It's you submitting to Christ and then out of obedience to Christ voluntarily taking that position where you submit to the headship and leadership of your husband. The second observation in the passage is this. Husbands are not given the responsibility to ensure that their wives submit. A wife's wife's submission to her husband is a manifestation of her submission to Christ not a manifestation of him controlling her and putting her in that position of submission. Like, ain't, no man's got the authority to do that. No man has the authority to do that. Men, by the way, men who abuse their wives in any way are not given passage in this scripture. So this is not a scripture that empowers men to be overwhelmingly abusive emotionally, mentally, psychologically, or verbally. They're not given passage. Wives in that situation should leave their husbands and should turn to the church for support and help and escape and sanctuary. That might mean that you open your home to a wife who's in one of these situations, which many of us have done. 
should turn to the church and should turn to law enforcement but often these women in these situations don't have the courage or the clarity to turn to law enforcement and that's where the big c church or the little c local body of believers steps in and helps guide them through that process most of our churches have uh, law enforcement officials that are part of the church that attend the church or members of the church sometimes in leadership deacons elders things like that so as a church we need to help women that are in that situation get out of that situation with our goal being that that man is repentant and rehabilitated and that he becomes submissive to the authority of the church and that we help guide them and navigate them through that but under no circumstance ever in any situation would the word of god or the man of god or the church of jesus christ encourage or push a woman to stay in a relationship that is in any way abusive so let's be real clear on that because apparently there's recently been some confusion about that that's not what this is saying so what we're saying is when a man is not obedient to the word, maybe this, I've seen situations often where you've got a, a couple and, the, and man, he's really loving and he loves his kids and he loves his wife or he loves the grandkids, whatever, but he's just not the spiritual leader. The wife seems to be more mature. And by my admission, I would tell you that there, in, in many ways, I feel like my wife is far more mature than me in a lot of ways, spiritually. Like that, I look to her oftentimes, little, what do you think about this? I how about this thought that I'm going to share in this sermon? Let me run this outline by you. Here's this main point that I want to draw out of this text. What are your thoughts from the text? Do you think this is saying? Those conversations should happen because it's a partnership. But oftentimes you'll have a, a good dude that's not a spiritual leader in his home. And so what he's saying is, uh, in, in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, that a wife, through her conduct, can win that husband over and empower him to step up and begin to lead. I'm fine if there's times where I'm leading and what you can't see, symbolically sort of, I'm leading my family and what you can't see is that a wife or a kid is behind me pushing, you know? I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm, to, I'm totally fine with that. I've often told the story when we were, I the first time uh, we ever, my oldest daughter has uh, from a young age expressed a, a desire and what we think is a biblical calling to, to go to the nations as a missionary and she's now in you know preparing and pursuing her education to that end and uh, but I remember as a little girl we've been out of the country several times and she said I really want to go to India that's where I feel like God's calling me when can we go to India and she, I, she was like nine eight or nine and I was like I'll tell you when we'll go to India it costs about two thousand bucks a piece to fly over there and so when you pay for you and your mama then, and I'll pay, I'll pay my way, and we'll, the, the three of us will go to India. We'll go over and hang out for about three weeks with some of our team that's over there. And so she, you know, she went to work and raised that money. It took her about a year and a half. I remember she was, her little 10-year-old self was speaking at a couple of WMUs. You know what WMU is? A lot of churches don't have that anymore. Women's Missionary Union, I think. All the, all the red hats in there, you know, on, a, on like a Thursday morning. Get her out of school, and she went down there and told them about India. I had a little presentation. So I remember we got to India. Um, I'm not particularly fond of South Asia. It's like, like I'm, I'm a hillbilly from Western North Carolina. Every time I'm there, I'm just like, one of these kids is doing his own thing, you know, I'm looking around, and it's like I stick out like a sore thumb. But, but I love the gospel, and I love people. And so 
I just thought, I figured God calls you to the people group that he wants to call you to. My people group happens to be Hillbilly Rednecks, and it's working out so far. So, you know, I'm over there with people that don't like to eat meat. They don't shoot guns. They don't kill stuff on purpose. You know, like a, I'm a fish out of water, you know. So uh, I remember the first, and, and we're in a city. We're in a city that's one of the leading mega cities. Is like one of the mega cities of the world, Mumbai, India. Like 20-some million people live there. And so <laughs> I remember laying in bed. The, you know, get there, you're 12-hour jet-lagged or whatever, and I'm laying in bed, it's like 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, count, you know, looking at the ceiling, 5 in the morning, and I hear the Muslim call to prayer, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they have that here, you know, and they don't have that in Andrews, and then I hear the little bells ringing at the Hindu temple, ding, 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 I'm getting a little, you know, their blessing for the day, and dotted up, and I'm like, what in the world, I'm just like culture shock, you know, and I realize in this moment, I've got an 11-year-old kid pushing me, Am I okay with that in that moment? Yeah, but what I'm not okay with is her, we're not playing leapfrog here. Make sense? We're not playing leapfrog. Gotta lead. And if we do our job, men, then our wives and daughters and sons will pursue Christ. I'm not saying I've done my job. I'm giving you one illustration there because I've failed miserably often. But if we do our job, there will be situations where I don't feel like I'm leading so much as I feel like I'm getting driven and pushed. And I'm okay with that. It's not going to be like this perfection of leadership. But as wives, the word that Peter has for you ladies is when your husband is not the spiritual leader that he ought to be, not that necessarily even that you think he should be, but that biblically he ought to be, then there is a way in which you respect him so that your conduct may shape the way that he follows Christ and leads his family. Men, if we expect, expect our wives would follow our lead and submit to what we feel God is calling us to do, then we must be in complete submission to Christ and to other believers. And in verse 24, the nature of submission is explained. The nature of submission. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The nature of submission is explained two ways. This doesn't, the first is that this doesn't suggest inequality. It doesn't suggest inequality. It suggests partnership and sacrificial love. And the second thing, this does not mean slavish obedience. This does not mean you're at your husband's beck and call. It does not mean that his whim is your demand. This does not mean slavish obedience. So let's come back to Ephesians 5.33 and let's land the plane here with some practical application. What do we make of the word respect for wives? We've examined the word love. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, we saw last night respect, uh, respond to respect and see it as an expression of true love. Men respond to respect and see it as an expression of true love. Let me read you an article that I find very insightful and helpful on this balance of love and respect. This is a blog by Pastor Doug Wilson. Scripture teaches us that Christians should honor or respect all men. 1 Peter 2.17 Every human being bears the image of God, and so, of course, we are called on to respect and honor that. And, of course, Scripture also teaches us to love our neighbor. And Jesus, in his famous story, makes the point that our neighbor is whatever person God has placed right in front of us. So all Christians are to love everyone, and all Christians should honor everyone. That is the baseline, love and honor. The word honor and respect being interchangeable here. But when we come down to the particular relationship of husbands and wives, and wives to husbands, 
Scripture gives us an important additional emphasis. Husbands are told specifically to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are told specifically to respect their husbands as the church does Christ. There are three things that we can take away from this. The lessons are not limited to three, but we should make a point of grasping at least these three things. Number one, we're called to love and respect. First, the commands are directed to our respective and relative weaknesses. We're told to do things that we might not do unless we are told. For example, children are told to obey their parents because it is easy for children not to do so. In the same way, husbands are told to love their wives because it is easy for husbands not to do so. Wives are told to honor or respect their husbands because it is easy for wives not to do so. We're called to do things that might not naturally occur to us. If we were all doing these things naturally, then why bring it up? Women are better at loving than men. Men do well at respecting. I I saw a guy in a Zaxby's not long ago, and I'd grown my beard out and got a gray beard. Apparently, that's like a I know this was about a year ago. Maybe it's not anymore, but it, apparently it was like a fairly fashionable thing. Did y'all know this? Men are coloring their hair gray. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's Zaxby's. I got my Santa Claus beard all sprouted out, you know? Right here. St. Nick. Standing there with my gray beard. Feeling distinguished. Thinking about that passage of scripture that says, uh, you know, it's a, like a sign of wisdom and seniority. Feeling, feeling some seniority, ain't you, Wayne? I see them whiskers coming, you know. And so I'm standing there, and this man walks up to me. A strapping, I mean strapping young African-American man. I mean, looked like he looked like he plays like middle linebacker for the Falcons. And we were right outside of Atlanta. And this guy walks up to me, and this guy's jacked. And he goes, bro, that beard? And he gives me the slap, you know, and brings it in. Respect. I got respect. I was like... I'm going to keep this thing, man. <laughs> I got guys like that respecting me, you know. Like, I can cut. Man, we end up having, like, this long conversation. I was like, I want to talk to this guy. He respects me, you know. Like, men respond to respect. A guy like that respects me. That's a good day. That's a good day. Sometimes you can't even get a, a snotty-nosed 17-year-old serving you a burger to respect you, you know. You're like, this is awesome. You know, so respect is something that men respond to. It's something that men are very responsive to. It's also something that men will naturally give. Will naturally give. Men will give respect, you know. I mean, I, I don't like it, but I got to respect it. That's his, that's his prerogative. If that's the way he wants to do things, I've got to give him respect, you know. C.S. Lewis once observed that women think of love as taking trouble for others which is more closer to a scriptural agape love than what men naturally do. Men tend to think of love as not giving trouble to others. Isn't that interesting? Women want to take the trouble for others. That's, like, like, that, that's an expression of love. Men tend to think of love as, let, let me not be trouble to others. So men must be called to sacrifice for their wives, to, to take trouble for them, as Christ gave himself for the church, women must be urged to respect their husbands. A woman can naturally love a man she does not honor or respect very much. And this is something that would, Paul would identify as a trouble. How many times have we heard a terrible story about a girl returning to her abusive boyfriend because she loves him, even though he treats her like dirt? 
But if we ask her if she respects him, she would reply, are you kidding me? Him? Absolutely not. And men must be called to give themselves away for their wives. This is what a wedding means. So we're called to love and respect. That's point number one. Number two, point number two, there's three of these. Men run on respect. Women run on love. We don't all run on Dunkin' Donuts, right? We, we, men run on respect. Women run on love. Think back to the Zaxby story I just told you. I felt literally invigorated. I got a man saying, I respect you. It's invigorating. Second, the command reveals something about the needs of the recipient. In other words, if the Bible said that shepherds should feed the sheep, a reasonable, ref, uh, a reasonable inference would be that the sheep need food. When husbands are told to love their wives, we can infer from this that the wife needs to be loved. Then wives are told to respect their husbands. We can infer from this that husbands need to be respected. Think of it as two kinds of cars that run on different kinds of fuel. Diesel and regular, say. Men run on respect and wives run on love. Coming back from family vacation, I-75 in Atlanta. Well, between Atlanta and Macon. I think we were in McDonough, Georgia. Is 96 degrees. My wife drives a, a, a tank of a vehicle, the USS Little. Um, you may have seen it on the high seas at times. <laughs> it's as big as this room, and you can put a large multiplication of families in that vehicle. And it's got a 7.3 liter diesel, men. You guys didn't know about that. Okay, so we're driving that thing, pull off the interstate. I drive a diesel, she drives a diesel. We never pump gasoline, we always pump diesel. Except for this day. <laughs> we pull in. Oh, yeah. The car's 20 years old and has 400,000 miles on it. The strangest thing, the air conditioner doesn't work real good. Pull in there, and I pumped 36 gallons of unleaded gasoline into that bad boy. And as it clicked, now, ladies, if you don't know what that means, it's bad. It's a bad day. As it clicked, click, I looked over there and went, hmm. <gasps> oh, no. It's 96 degrees. We're stranded on the side of I-75. I got to find somebody that'll come and pump my tank out so I can put diesel in it. Plus, I'm out the 100 bucks it cost to fill it up in the first place. It was a disaster. Why? Because the diesel engine is not supposed to run on gasoline. You put diesel in a gasoline engine, <clears throat> you're like, it's destroyed. You know, at least the diesel's tough enough, like we survived. I idled it over to the other side of the parking lot, and we, we made it. We survived the day. What, like, what you run on is critical, even for survival. And saying this, men remember that we're talking about emphasis. On a basic level, everyone needs to be loved and everyone needs to be respected. But when Scripture singles out husbands and wives living together, the men are told to love and the women are told to respect. Flip this around and you see that men should remember that their wives need to be loved and, and their wives should remember that their husbands need to be respected. Remembering this keeps us from giving what we would like to be getting. George Bernard Shaw once observed that we should not do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Their tastes may be may not be the same as ours. I once knew a husband who got his wife and I shotgun for Christmas. <laughs> Depends on the girl. Um, she was a shrewd Christian woman, and so the following Christmas, she got him a nice string of pearls. And as she told my wife, they were very nice pearls. 
Often when a marriage is in a tough spot, both spouses tend to give what they feel they need, love and respect, respectively. Wives reach out to their husbands with love when respect is what would really help and empower. Husbands can back away thinking of this as a, thinking of this as a form of respect, giving space when, they need to do, when what they need to do is close in with love. Number three, both are powerful to produce change. But third, here's where it gets glorious. Love and respect are both potent. The Bible teaches that this kind of love is efficacious. This kind of love is powerful. This sort of love bestows loveliness. This kind of respect bestows respectability. Husbands cannot duplicate the love of Christ, which is efficaciously making his bride lovely. Efficacious simply means potent. It's able to do what it, God intends it to do. We, we use this word to describe the atonement. It's efficacious or the efficacy of the atonement means what God intended for it to accomplish, it accomplished. It's potent. While we cannot duplicate this kind of love, I'm sorry, husbands cannot duplicate the love of Christ, which efficaciously made his bride lovely. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. But while we cannot duplicate this kind of love, husbands are told to imitate it. Go back to last night. We said we can't duplicate what Jesus did. That's a one and done thing. Like it's the, the scripture says in Hebrews, this is once for all. Okay, so I cannot duplicate what Jesus did, but I can imitate what Jesus did. So it's about imitation, not dupli- duplication. And in imitating it, we see some of the comparable effects. A woman who is loved by her husband is a woman who will grow in loveliness. He washes her with the water of the word. Ephesians 5, 26. The entire passage assumes that this kind of love bestows loveliness. And the same kind of potency can be found in a godly woman's respect. Peter tells us that reverent and chaste behavior can break down a man's disobedient spirit in the passage we just examined. So then, men and women should love and respect each other. They should do so with all their hearts. But then when they are concentrating on their marriages, the men should lean into love. The women should lean into respect. And the results can and will be astonishing. Isn't that practical? Good stuff. Most of that came from that last portion. Those three points come from a blog called Love and Respect. You can find it at the Desiring God website. We'll link it in the description of the podcast and the video once we post it. But I hope you'll consider it and think about it. Husbands, let's love our wives well so that they might become more lovely. And ladies, let's respect and honor your husbands well so that they might grow in honor and respectability. And the results will be astonishing. Guaranteed. Many of you are already living it. Guaranteed. So let's take what God's given us and let the Holy Spirit apply it in our lives as we submit to Him. I will pray and we'll close with a couple of songs. Lord, I pray that as we take your word and respond to it in obedience, that we would do so with an understanding that you are good and gracious, you are kind and loving, you extend the greatest love to us, and yet you honor and respect us through your Holy Spirit in our lives, and we thank you for that. When we were unlovable while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And gave us the greatest honor that could ever be bestowed on someone and expressed the deepest love that could ever be felt by the human experience. So please help us to emulate this in our lives and imitate this to one another and grow our marriages stronger because of it. And we will give you praise, glory, thanksgiving.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.